And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now, 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 now. Hello and welcome to Eastcast. We come together to delve into the arts, the culture and the people of East London. But as we've discovered over the years, um, the things we discover stem from this particular area, but they go way beyond the postcode. So wherever you're listening, it's great to have you with us. My name's Nia Charpentier and I'm here with Pearl Wise and Anna Xavier. Hello. So on this show, we'll be hearing about independent London guidebooks, a short film festival, an Abigail's party theme night, among other things. And we have Claire Martin in the studio with us to talk about the Milco project, uh, which is a collection of spaces in around uh, the East London area, including the Rose Lippmann building. Hello. And we do have some music, something from the Marbles Jackson and Lael Arad. And so last week I dropped into the Rose Lippmann building and I met Alice Hodge, who was preparing for the Art of Dining event, Abigail's Party. My name's Alice Hodge and I am one half of the Art of Dining pop-up restaurant. I'm the set designer and my business partner, Ellen Parr, is the chef. And we've been going for over three years now, and we go to different locations each time and pop up with a different theme. We stay in situ for about a month, and then we pack it all down and leave it as we found it. So where are we now? What's, what's going on? So we're at our favourite venue, the Rose Lipman Building in De Beauvoir, and we have actually been here to do an, another pop-up a couple of years ago, and... This one is called Abigail's Party, inspired by the Mike Lee play, and we've changed the space to feel like a 70s living room, and we're serving five courses of food inspired loosely by the 70s. So, what, prawn cocktails? Yep, the starter (laughs) is a prawn cocktail, um, but it's a twist on it. There's no mayonnaise in sight. It's a Vietnamese-style-inspired sort of prawn salad so i can see that the decor yes is very kind of 70s inspired um and yes we have dennis i was just about to ask music dennis russos that is like a very major part of this film play so yeah yes. <laughs> is that what we're going to be hearing yep absolutely we have a actress that plays beverly and she does little monologues in between courses and we're guests at her dinner party and there is very much a very prominent scene where she asks everyone if she can put on her music and then it blasts out and she has a little dance with one of the diners. So it's quite immersive then? Yeah, it is. You're not completely thrown in at the deep end but there's bits of theatre that happen throughout the night and you interact with Beverly. At little bits, she goes around passing around olives and chats to people, and then later on, she goes around giving people gin and tonics. 
throughout the night you'd have some interactive elements. So what other theme dinners have you done? We've done loads, absolutely loads. We've done a Mexican-themed pop-up. We've done a camping-themed, beach-themed, Tudor feast in a Tudor house. We've done one called The Servant's Supper. Uh, one called A Night with the Mistress, which was a garden party. Is it the venue that inspires the theme or the other way? How, it, how, do you, how does it work? It, it varies. It, uh, it tends to be the venue and we think, right, what can work in this space? But having said that, we've wanted to do Abigail's party for ages and we were just waiting and then realised we could come to this totally amazing room that's already feels a little bit 70s and it's big enough to have loads of people in and we've got a whole separate bar area. Um, how did you come up with the idea? Well, we met at university. We've got a little story, actually, that Ellen used to live next door to a Marks and Spencer's skip and after a night out, we would get in the skip, get loads of food out and then go back to hers and basically have a feast at about 4 o'clock in the morning. And at one particular time, there were hundreds of daffodils in there and I sort of filled, did this mad daffodil thing and we thought at that point we'd actually started the sort of pop-up thing without knowing it. Then we both moved to London. We thought, oh, we'll just try it out. And it just snowballed. And we managed, we just kept selling tickets and it kept getting bigger and bigger. I mean, there does seem to be quite a demand for that kind of thing at the moment. But do you think it's just because there's more of an offering? So people are like, well, why go to just have a normal dinner when you can do something a bit more fun yeah, and immersive. Definitely. It's definitely a really interesting way to eat. If you're into food and you want to try, you know, different chefs, what they're up to, you get more than just you would going to a restaurant because we have all these added layers that make it a whole night out. So you arrive at seven thirty and you know you're not gonna leave until eleven. And so you're sort of committed to the evening and you don't quite know where you're going to go, you don't know what you're going to eat, you don't know who you're going to sit next to. So it attracts a certain sort of quite open-minded person. That's what I was about to ask, who, who are the kinds of people yeah. that come? We honestly don't have a um, specific audience. It's such, such a wide range. We have some 18, 19-year-olds and we have also have people in their 60s coming and all sorts of different people. It's, there's absolutely no pigeonholing, which is what makes it so interesting. People make friends on the evening. With this particular pop-up, we have had lots of Abigail Party fans right. that are coming and know every line and uh, absolutely love Beverly. And what are the main challenges for this kind of event? There are millions of challenges. I mean, with every pop-up, because we, we set up... We have a completely blank canvas and we essentially set up a whole kitchen and a restaurant and a bar. This one we set it up in two days and then we're open to the public. Bang. So it is very, very fast and it's quite expensive, if I'm honest, to, you know, to hire a lot of stuff for a month and then we pack it all down as if we were never here. But once the ball's rolling, it's really, we've got a great team of staff that are absolutely brilliant and it starts to run itself after a sort of scary first night. Yeah. And I was just wondering, because, I mean, okay, it's not, like, super expensive, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's quite a pricey yeah. night out. Yeah. So, um, for most people, is it their kind of big night of the month? Is yeah. Is it their kind of big outing? Yeah, people really investing. They come dressed up, although that's not compulsory, but lots of people do. 
and they've really made the effort. You can see when they come in the door, they're excited, they're pumped, and that sort of energy lasts throughout the evening. Yeah, it is. It's £55 and it's a five course meal and it includes a welcome cocktail. And uh, the standard of the food is really high. The chef trained at Morrow. And so people are really satisfied with the quality of the experience. We pay a lot of attention to detail. So their menus are handmade and there are loads of little secret things you can discover throughout the night so it's more than just going for dinner it's a sort of combination of going for dinner and to a bar and to see a play and sometimes it ends with dancing in a nightclub so when you sort of combine all of those different experiences together it's really good value for money so if people want to find out what you're up to what's the Mm. best way to the best thing to do is go online and join our mailing list on the website and then we keep people up to date with everything that's going on thank you pleasure thank you would anybody mind if i turn this next track up because it's my favorite it's forever and ever and i'd like us all to hear it anybody mind no no right Yes, I know this one. Do you think he's sexy, Anne? Yes. It's a pity he's so fat. Yeah, but he doesn't sound it, though, does he? When you hear him, no, it's funny. He's still fantastic, though, isn't it? So that was just one of the many events that are held um, at the Rose Lippmann building. And we have Claire Martin in the studio with us, who runs uh, the Milko Project, which um, comprises of the well-known and well-loved Rose Lippmann building, as well as many other spaces. Welcome, Claire. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So can you explain to me what's Milko? What's... What is it? Oh, lots of things. Um, we're essentially a collective, I suppose, of, uh, of artists, designers, creatives, but pre- predominantly um, the Milko Project is a provider of affordable workspace. Um, and as you rightly said, we've got different spaces in different parts of London now. We started off with just the one, but it's kind of it's kind of grown as, as the need and the demand has grown. Um, so yeah. where did you start? Uh, we started in Viner Street in a smaller, much smaller space, um, which we outgrew fairly quickly and quickly realised that we, we needed a, a bigger space, which was more studio-focused as opposed to desk space, which is what the Viner Street studio was, was about. And um, why, why do people need studios? Are you attracting more kind of artists or, or small businesses? What- uh, both really. We cater for the more emerging artists, so graduates and start-ups, to much more established companies, the the Mandarin Wharf space um, is 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 for more sort of slightly more established creative businesses, so people that have been trading for a few years and and need a, a sort of post incubator space, I guess. Whereas the Rose Lipman tends to be slightly more of an incubator and you know be, below market rents, which is in line with the building and the and the relationship that we have with the council on that. Also, I was just saying before I went to a wedding at the the Rose Lipman. Yeah, the, all sorts of the stuff Rose Lipman has yeah. all sorts from weddings to. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like kids dance events and and then the stuff that we program in which is the more theatre and, and arts led projects um yeah it's, so, it's so for people who don't know the building it used to be a, a community library it was the hackney library and the hackney archive and the community center on the de beauvoir estate um and then the library moved up to dalston and um took with it the archive and left this this kind of great space which we were quite happy to help populate so yeah it's been a, it's been a great journey so how did how do you go about getting hold of a building like that well, I mean, so lots of admin. Yeah, <laughs> always lots of admin. But in this case, we um, it was Create London, the arts charity that approached us and asked us to um, work with them to populate and run the building because they were using it for some carnival projects for the Olympics, which were to do with Tropical Isles. I don't know if you know them, they're a really great local carnival charity group who do um, Notting Hill and Hackney Carnival. And they they were making the costumes in the building at the time when Create realised that there was kind of lots more space not being utilised and asked us to do our thing at the Rose Littman, which, we, yeah, we were really pleased to do. So, and it's grown from there. Within, within a few weeks of us having the Rose Littman, all the rooms were full. We had lots of great new artists in there. Yudon Choi, who's a fashion designer, um, Marva from Tropical Isles has her own studio there now and uses the space for all her performances and carnival making and you name it. We've got a pottery studio in there, so there's there's all sorts all sorts of things and an art school as well, open schoolies. Well, the sky is the limit right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, the, the it's, space is the limit. Yeah, <laughs> it's feeling a bit that way, but we constantly need more space, and that leads us on to the, the next building, I guess, which was um, which is up in Tottenham now. So. We've sort of realised that Hackney not just is getting more expensive, as we all know, but is there's just less less buildings to choose from, really. So we sort of broadened the net and went out to Tottenham, and it was a really great move. And we've got a building up there with 23 studios, similar thing. We've got music studios in there, fine artists, taxidermist, lots of different people. Um, and that building was filled within within a short space of time. So clearly is a need for space it seems um so is, is the rose Littman the only space you manage that also has this kind of public event space? uh it was up until recently but recently in haringey we've um we've worked closely with the council uh, haringey council who've, who are great and we've taken on a number five ashley road which is um it's an old transport depot and we've we've worked with um, a theatre, immersive theatre company called Rift, who you might know. They've done lots of stuff, great stuff around East London, some of which has happened at the Rose Littman, which is how we got to meet them. Um, and working with Rift, we've now put Rift into this building. So that's their that's their hub. That's their base. And they're now developing some international projects at Five Ashley Road, which will become a space for develop, de- developing projects and it's and performances that, you know, and all these sorts. things are long term because you hear about these buildings, you know, being used for sort of pop ups, and then yeah. they'll inevitably become flats. Or, yeah, well, you know. this was one of the reasons we had to sort of look further afield because that's what's happening with a lot of the buildings in Hackney, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Need, there's a need for housing, but yeah, a lot of the buildings. I mean, we still look for space around here, but quite often they're, um, yeah, they've got like a year and then they're going to be flats. So. And you're quite a small team. You manage the the team. Yeah, well, I'm. there's two directors, myself yeah. and my business partner, Nick, and then we've got um, a small team, Mandy and Glenn and Max and 
uh, Ebony. So yeah, it's a quite small team. So there's a lot, a lot to do for for just a few people. It keeps us on our toes. <laughs> <laughs> and not forgetting your little pooch Porridge, who's been very Porridge, quiet in throughout the, the whole interview. <laughs> no scrabbling of just little feet. down on the floor right now. We've <laughs> <laughs> been lucky. <laughs> Well, that's brilliant, Claire. Thanks so much for coming in and telling us about it. I mean, we've all been to the Rose Lippmann, for example, but I had no idea there were so many other things There's going so on. much going yeah. on there. And, uh, yeah, to, just to see what's going on, please check the website because it's updated regularly and there's there's literally there's so much stuff happening up there. Um, anything, any highlights in anything up your sleeve coming up um surely there will be well i would have said abigail's party but you've uh that's done now yeah um there's a lot of rehearsal stuff happening at the moment um well keep us posted about rift because that's yeah the rift 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 will be doing some projects at the rose litman over the summer as well some short little plays so yeah keep an eye out for those um, there's all sorts. Check the website out. And if anyone wants a studio, obviously they should get in touch with you as well. Yes, yeah. There's <laughs> or um, <planning> a wedding, <laughs> wedding, <laughs> birthdays, theatre, you name it. Yeah, just uh, get in, get in touch. We've got a great basement space in the Rose Lipman as well, as well as the community hall. So it's quite diverse. There's a lot. There's lots of different kinds of of things that can happen there. And if anyone's interested in what's going up on up in Tottenham as well, get in touch because, like we said, there's Rift and. Oh, yeah, there's much more on the cards. There's a really exciting project going to be happening next spring up in Haringey, which is I can't talk about. It's, it's all oh, secret, secret. Yeah. but we can't uh, get an exclusive. Not, not at this stage, but um, yeah, watch this space because that's going to be a really interesting, interesting project. And if anyone is interested in doing anything up in Haringey, there's um, there's a really great scheme called the Opportunity Investment Fund scheme, which is aimed at sort of you know small businesses and development in the in the Haringey area. So that's that's one to watch out for as well. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks, Claire. Thank so, you. Great. Thanks. So a little bit of music now. Um, something from Hackney-based band The Marbles Jackson. Um, they've just released their debut album. They sent it to me by email. Well, a link to it. I was very happy to receive that. It's called Notes to the Dust. And um, here's a track from that album called What Remains.
That was What Remains by the Marbles Jackson. So you're listening to East Coast Show and you can find all our podcasts and audio delights on eastcastshow.com. And next up, Pearl met up with Effie Fataki and Moritz Steiger at the Wash Cafe in Well Street in Hackney to talk to them about a series of books they've produced about independent shops. The series is called Independent London and here they are talking about their most recent East London edition. That is what uh, being a, a responsible citizen is because we sort of like we're a bit complacent about these things these days. It's like uh, oh, I want everything. Oh, it's there for me. Therefore, I'll have it. But it's all about also thinking a little bit about the story behind that, the story behind the objects that are being sold in Primark. And then this is where you sort of like start taking responsibility for your consumerism, your well, consumerist behaviour yeah. and yourself and your, your citizenship really. Well, I'm Effie Fotaki. I'm a photographer. I've been doing uh, with uh, Moritz um, the Independent London Store Guide for the past uh, eight years. I'm Moritz Steiger. I'm a photographer, um, Swiss originally, um, living in London and co-working on this book project with Effie. Why did you decide to do this? What was the inspiration to get going on this project? Well, I think UK follows the kind of US model a lot and US is a very big country where everything is um, large quantities and uh, to my mind, squeezing that into the UK doesn't work and there's a lot of all the high streets are now very homogenized, boring and un- uninteresting. Maybe it's not a surprise that people drive to uh, miles where they can get all that under a roof, you know. Being from Switzerland, there's quite a healthy independent shop scene. People making stuff and just selling it out from a space in a shop. And they just make enough to pay to have a nice living. They're not trying to open a second or a third or a fourth shop. It's just a nice lifestyle and they're in a community and seem quite happy. And often they can just be making a bike or... Uh, jewellery or uh, watches even, that sort of thing. And in Zurich I came across a book uh, which inspired our book really. It was a a shop on each page that inspired us to thought we thought there's really a gap for that in in London to show people where these um, interesting places are and also to try and create hubs of places. So in the book all the shops are collected together in kind of hubs where people can spend a day investigating or checking out that area with coffee shops and shop and just shops and um, and learn about an area that's hopefully what we're achieving and what's interesting is from when you started to today there's been a huge resurgence in people creating independent shops cafes businesses it's like grown exponentially so you how's it been following that it must have been quite fascinating to see you know this this movement towards that? There has been a strengthening, I think, in um, uh, neighbourhoods and communities, or I would say there have been changes. So we've noticed several um, areas or roads that have been uh, independent uh, in the past becoming more uh, commercial now and changing completely, whereas other roads like Chatsworth Road are really flourishing now. So things have been changing. I wouldn't say necessarily that there are now more independent shops. I wouldn't say it's necessarily improving or healthier. There's a very big emphasis on uh, food. 
I wouldn't say there was a greater or uh, more diversity in terms of uh, independent shops. But the ones that are there are more interesting, perhaps, than was the case in the past, because they have to try so hard, they have to offer something different, unique. Um, that's the only way you can survive, is to do something that's not available online or isn't available in small numbers. Exactly. So the, the stronger businesses survive at this climate. I think it's pretty tough yeah. for independents right now. It's got to be inventive about what you're offering and not just follow trends, what's already out there. Those perhaps selling products from the local area that's, that are unique are the ones that, well, hopefully anyway, will uh, uh, last it out. And who are your, who are your clientele? Who are you basing this for? Is it for Londoners discovering an area or is it for tourists? What, what's your kind of idea of your demographic? Who are you, who are you aiming at? We're aiming at um, young professionals, people that work, people that don't have a lot of time, people that have a healthy income, tourists, and also uh, we have a a healthy following on designers or creatives that want to have an idea of what's where and where it's happening uh, so they can actually go and approach these places. I think it's also um, helpful for People don't, don't know London as well as Londoners, because London's so big, people tend to live in villages, don't they? We thought it was very useful for that. For that. Are there any kind of really interesting change that you've noticed over the years, maybe in an area or a particular shop that's like grown? Because you've obviously built up these relationships. Well, you do see well, it in generality, you know, in, particularly in East London, and that's why we did an East London book. East London is kind of how the rest of London should be. You know, in terms of the energy and kind of revitalizing and kind of the, the creativity injection, you know, it's, it's become such a focus for all sorts of kind of great energy and, and businesses and so on. So we love things like Brick Lane and Cheshire Street, Red Church Street. If you strip away for a moment the, uh, the whole kind of rise in rents and so on. This project is very much a photography based. Is it alongside your professional careers or is it is it kind of as a, almost promoting what you do elsewhere, or is it like a completely separate It's intruding right now. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to keep balances, because we both do other things. Um, I have started teaching now for the last uh, three, four years, and that takes a lot of time. So it's all about balancing um, things. So when I'm very busy with something else, this takes a second um, priority and when we're producing the books obviously we need to need to spend a lot of time doing that so it's all about keeping balances for yeah. me at least well yeah I, I was doing a lot of uh, advertising photography right. um, and this has taken over to quite an extent um, what I'm doing now is closer to what originally inspired me for photography you've done this East London very local guide to different areas in East London what's what's your next project you've got the app obviously um, are you going to be doing each area of London is that the plan well for the moment I think we just need to see how all these avenues that we have already explored are going to uh, perform like the book and the app and see how they um, do in the market and then uh, the idea would be um, in the near future to do one more of the whole of London uh, book. But for the moment, we're just uh, going to take our time and see how things yeah, are developing. No fixed plans. We are inviting people to submit their shots. 
Oh. For our app, you're, uh, and you've got this makers thing happening. We do. That, um, that is a more at the moment. I'm more keen to put energy into that because that is exciting. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're also looking for people to submit themselves for the makers project too. It's, um, it's had to take a back seat while we did this the last book, but also for the app, um, we invite submission shops that it's free, free to be listed, of course, and. Uh, so we'll be researching for that over the next two, three months. Um, and then, yeah, then we'll look at a London book again, probably. Talk, talk a little bit about the London makers. Well, the makers thing, interesting as shops are, but really it's, what creates wealth is people making stuff, and preferably stuff out of nothing, you know. That's really what, and then you export it or you make it a local area and sell in the area. So I was really interested in this concept uh, going back a couple of years. Not so much craft sense, but really genuine you know, engineering, perhaps. And I like watches and bicycles, so people that making that sort of thing. And there's a, like, for example, there's a yarn manufacturer in, uh, in Clapton. So those sorts of people. And presenting them and then, they, then perhaps showing how that you can make an item in the book as well. So that's more longer term, because it's quite a lot of time required for research and finding people. And they're also quite difficult to get on board because you're quite busy perhaps don't see the long term benefits of being in a, a fancy book <laughs> I think people are bombarded these days you know that you do mm. need to work a long, long hours in order to make a living and uh, at the same time London is such an exciting place then you want to leave to do things and stuff like that so it is quite difficult to get you know you're offering something but the demands as well the requirements like you're supposed to not only be making something um, and then you have to get out there and promote it you've got to do social media supposedly so many demands on time and it's also from our perspective when we are approaching shops they're also saying well there's we have Google, we have Facebook, we can do all these things, you know. So for us as well, it's quite hard to, to um, uh, convince people, you know, it's worthwhile, I think, to be part of You can find the... East London edition of the independent guides in most independent shops around East London. Probably the best shops to go to are all the kind of design, uh, furniture and clothing stores around around the area. Which, so. which is good. Thanks, Yeah. Well. And uh, of course, you can find us on social networks, Twitter and Facebook. We're there under the name East Coast Show. And... Now, up to something else. So, what do you do when you can't find the right platform to showcase your work? Well, you create one. This was the idea behind Shorts on Tap, an eclectic independent film festival that stemmed in East London and now has even reached Japan. Hear it from the organisers themselves, Filippo Poldesel and M- Michele Fiascari. I'm Filippo and I started Shorts on Tap, a uh, short film screening platform, collecting short films and short documentaries uh, different sources, it could be uh, festivals, it could be people submitting their films from anywhere in the world. There's no limits, you know, we, can, we accept all sorts of genres. As long as they're short films, you know, like maybe under half an hour, 20 minutes. And we've been screening shorts uh, since late 2013 when I started on my own in, in a small venue called Juno Shoreditch. And I met Michele around 
maybe March the next year, 2014, and uh, we joined forces. But because it worked out very well, it was since the beginning, it was very good turnout, lots of people enjoying the shorts and uh, the Q&As and everything. We're still doing it today, and we're steadily growing to the point that we have like maybe 600 guests each month with three events each month and um, and a growing number of venues as well to uh, 93 feet east which is in east london as well brick lane cafe 1001 it's an ongoing project well i knew philippe already from before but i i was coming to see his events and i was really enjoying them and we were discussing at the end of the shows i was just giving some suggestions and then we quickly came to the decision of like joining forces and you know doing this together so we started like you know pushing it more i'm a filmmaker myself i had a lot of experience with festivals and been to a lot of festivals so and i knew a lot of filmmakers so i started passing him on films or maybe giving suggestions on how, where to find new short films and um to raise the bar more and more you know the level the quality of the films that we would get we we tend to to watch all the films that people submit so we got a huge database of short films once we pinpoint the best films we sort of group them up in different folders under different categories and different umbrellas and topics you know when we get enough good films for any given topic we can start planning an event we're not strict in the sense of like we can maybe include films that are sometimes music videos or more experimental more art house or it doesn't matter as long as it matches with the subject and it's a good uh, film itself, you know. We're doing a series uh, sponsored by BFI and Film London about women. It's going to be called Women in Revolt and we're going to have three new venues, three cinemas. Three cinemas are Stowe Film Lounge in uh, Walthamstow, Deadford Cinema in Deadford yeah. and uh, Hotel Elephant in Elephant Castle. Basically, we already covered that subject quite extensively the previous year so we thought it was a good interesting um, uh, concept to to explore further and we proposed the idea to uh, Film London who really like it and um, also we we got in touch with a feminist group called Club de Femme who are curating the show with us so it's going to be a very varied show with lots of um, different inputs in three completely new venues for us but after that, we'll be going back east. We're trying to export Shorts and Tap elsewhere as well. We had an, an event in Tokyo back in February, if I rem remember well. Yeah. It was a sold-out event in the heart of, of Tokyo, Shibuya district. We, we sort of put together a show with the best shorts from London. And that's what we screened there. Whereas here in London, we screened seven short films from Japan. So it was a yeah. bit of a, a cultural exchange. Yeah. I would like to add something about an event we have in May 17th, the uh, International Day Against Homophobia. We'll be uh, hosting an event, a great event, at the uh, Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square. It's going to be the premiere of this film, Credence, by Mike Bonaiuto. He's a very talented director and writer. He's doing his first LGBT sci-fi film, so it's going to be like a landmark a short film for the LGBT community. Yeah, watch this space, you know, watch our website, shortsontap.com. 
Yeah, so uh, keep updated on all of the what these guys are doing. It's really good. I've been there to um, one of their nights and it was um, black and white um, film screenings. It was really good. And what's also good about it is that they throughout the month they do different events. And once a month they invite previous filmmakers to form a, jur- a jury panel and to choose from the films they they have received. So basically they recycle the people that have been there, they get more connection, it's really good to network and everyone is really friendly. So, you know, it's 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 an inter- interesting concept. There. I like the idea of LGTB um, <laughs> sci-fi. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm quite curious. I've got images of uh, very flamboyant aliens, but maybe that's just <laughs> things um, kind of stereotyping. Well, we'll have to go there and, and see them. Um, but yeah let's just keep an eye on their website they're always doing interesting stuff great thanks Um, so as you know I've got this kind of co-working obsession that's been following me for the last few months and I've been exploring all these different co-working spaces and actually it was interesting to chat to Clara earlier about Milko as well Um, so maybe not necessarily classified as a co-working space this next space which is the ace hotel in shoreditch but people do use it to work a lot and um they have set it up so it's a combination of play space eating listening to concerts and working so people are doing all these things and actually simultaneously sometimes which is quite interesting so um i uh i chatted to ryan buckstein um from the ace group um that own the ace hotel in shoreditch uh on skype and um just found out a bit more about the whole concept We started out as this kind of creative community hub. It was really word of mouth, a lot of music business, a lot of art and culture and creatives. You don't just have to be like a touring band to want to stay at Ace. If you're the type of person that wants a unique experience, you know, we have guests that are from young to old and and the core of it is just that we try to create this kind of human touch and this human experience and I think that resonates with everyone and it's not necessarily like a cool hip kind of thing like you have to know the latest music or the latest fashion trends it's kind of like a feeling and a vibe a little bit more relaxed feels more like home than they would at a hotel and I think that speaks to a lot of people My name is Ryan Buckstein. I'm the chief cultural engineer for Atelier Ace. The way we look at cultural engineer is kind of just the way we describe this non-traditional thing that we do, which is, you know, includes hospitality, but is kind of more overreaching. I oversee our public relations, our marketing, our events, our web development. And then I work very closely with the property teams at each property on how we're connecting culturally through each individual property. You do seem to have this way of being very interested in what's going on in the area that you're launching a space or a hotel in. So it's not just coming in and offering the same thing. It's like very much this kind of embedding idea where you're seeing what the local community is like, what they need, and really catering each hotel to that uh, community is that 
a fair assumption. Yeah, definitely. Um, for us, really, the hotel is a platform for that type of work. The connection to the local community and to the artists and the creators and the entrepreneurs in these communities, that is like what the work is. That's what we do and what we're interested in. And the hotels become a very um, unique platform. You know, another really core thing that we do is focus on like the human part of, of being in hospitality and in a hotel. And I think that speaks to like, you don't expect this from hotels usually. And why hotels kind of a thing is that you know, we just look at everything as an opportunity to build relationships. And a hotel is a great opportunity to build like real relationships. And it starts with our staff, which is the most important part of how they're building relationship with the guests when they come in. Was this Alex Calderwood's vision when he started the first ACE? That's what he really had in mind is to work in this way. I think so. Actually, the ACE was started kind of in the late 90s in Seattle. I came to school there in 1998, right as the ACE was opening, a really small 28-room hotel. And I, I became an intern for Alex for a marketing agency called Never Stop. During that time, Alex and his friend Wade and another friend Doug, they were friends that were all kind of doing their own thing. Alex was a, working as a concert promoter for Tasty Shows, it was called. They were bringing bands to town, kind of like the counterpoint to grunge a little bit. They were bringing all the electronic acts. And then Wade was, you know, throwing, I think he was throwing a lot of parties and events. And then that kind of morphed into that, this company never stopped that I was, ended up an intern at that did kind of non-traditional marketing and events. As far as Ace, it really developed out of those guys like, they were bringing people to town to play shows, and it really kind of became just like an opportunity opened itself to take over this small, decrepit old hotel, and they really just decided like, hey, let's let's try it, you know? So there was never this kind of sense of, I'm starting this global hotel brand. It was more just, this is a cool idea, let's do it and see how it goes. And then their approach was really just to create a place for their friends and the people that were coming to town to work with them. So the first guest at Ace Hotel in Seattle was Paper Magazine, who were, who we're still very close with. And, you know, their whole crew came out. And then it was like, you know, a lot of people in the music industry would go there. And, you know, the another example is Alex was also very involved in the um, street art scene, just as a supporter and a, and a promoter, like he he gave Shepard Ferry and Cause like some of their first shows, um, which were in Seattle at spaces that he was running, and so it was very natural for him to say like, "Hey, you guys are my friends. I love your art. Will you do some art for my hotel?" So it kind of really started in this this whole sense of just excitement, and then the last kind of I think important element that has like guided our brand is that Seattle at this time was a very small, tightly knit creative scene and it was very inclusive because of the size of the city and the way like kind of things were developing, everyone kind of hung out with each other. And that was something that I think carried over into the way that they ran a Seattle in the way that like our brand and has evolved from there with this sense of being a very inclusive brand. But Ace Hotel Portland, our second hotel, didn't open until 2006. And one thing I was really surprised about when we opened Portland is just how many people 
had stayed in Seattle and had remembered it, you know, told friends about it. And I think what happens is that when someone has a unique experience, it resonates with them and they talk about it and it becomes a, a conversation piece. And like that's how word kind of spread. I'm only familiar with the London Ace, the times when I've been there, I've always felt very comfortable at, and at home, but also very tapped in to London. Yeah. And I think uh, traveling can be lonely sometimes, even if you're traveling as a couple or for work or as a band or whatever. It's very attractive to be able to go somewhere and then be instantly tapped in to a community and a network. And if your hotels are providing that, then I, I can see why that really appeals for sure and i think we're the type of people that look for that like our whole team at atelier ace we're the type of people that when we travel we want to get tapped in like we want to find out where the locals go one thing about the ace hotel london shortage is that shortage was very much established um when we opened it was we weren't coming into an area as much as we did in new york with what they're calling the nomad district now or in portland which is now called the West End, um, and even in, in a sense in downtown L.A. a little bit. These are all areas where we came in kind of early, where we really were part of the group that helped define what the area is. For Shortage, our, our challenge is really how do we knit this hotel back into the fabric of the community. It's kind of how we were, th were thinking about it. So we have this great, you know, surrounding the hotel amazing shops, just a great vibe, and then you kind of had this dead zone. So that worked itself through extending the, the, the entrance to the street a little more. It used to be kind of like backed off of the street, which is, you know, the more traditional hotel style, separated in a sense. So we wanted to, to bring it back to the community. So we extended the entrance. We changed the lobby um, to be more of an inviting space. We added a coffee shop and then a, a flower shop, a takeout window. We partnered with Sister Ray Records to open a shop along the street. So really trying to establish that little area as a, a real part of the community in Shortage. We want to make it a flexible space. We don't want to define what people can do and where. Um, we want that to kind of like happen naturally where they um, feel comfortable. So for example, we have like USB ports and power in the restaurant booths. We have, you know, the rooms in all of the lobby. We have, you know, power and plugins as many places as possible. We have the big communal table, like creating just the setting the stage for people to come in. And that's always a, like that is one of the best times and the most rewarding times after like, you know, usually years in, of work on these hotels when the, the, those first moments when you open the door, there's, there's people there you know, working or talking or having a meal. It's so amazing because you're, you're seeing the community like interact with this project you've created. People do use it as a workspace and, you know, you can see them very concentrated on their laptops and doing all sorts of things. But then, you know, further in a different space, people are kind of chatting and socializing and, you know, there might even be a DJ playing music. It's all sort of happening at the same time and it works. It's like, it doesn't feel like... It's one or the other. They all kind of work simultaneously, which is quite unusual. It was obviously quite conscious that you, you do want to invite people to come and use it as a kind of third office space. Definitely, for sure. And I think that the type of people we are, we mixed work and play. Like We were working to travel, to create, to collaborate. All those things mixed in together. That really 
I think informs the way we like to create hotels because as people, we are really into the adventure of life, you know, and, and I think that it's something I've noticed has grown more with this kind of attitude about mixing work and play a little bit and kind of working to travel to to be inspired, you know, it all kind of combines into one thing, especially when travel is concerned. And I think that works its way into this third space idea of how open we are in a sense to creating something that's very flexible and then opening the doors and letting the people kind of decide in a sense what it becomes. Thank you so much. And um, really great talking to you. Thanks a lot. So that was Ryan Buxton from the ACE group and um, he is the cultural engineer, chief cultural engineer of the group. So he's got quite a fun job actually. Mm. And, and just that, to clarify, that was uh, music at the end, not typing. Not typing, no. And it was a <laughs> But it, sc- could, it could be because when you go there, you just see people on their laptops. <laughs> exactly. So. Well, why do you think I chose that music? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's artistic. Um, and obviously that was a Skype interview, which is why the sound is a little bit tinny. Um, Ryan was in... Um, where was he? Somewhere in America when I spoke yeah. to him. Was it hard? It's a big place. It's a big place. I can't remember. Was it hard working out the hours? No, it was all right. We worked. We managed. We managed. Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, any Ace Hotel experiences? Well, Pearl, now that you mentioned, I do have... I've been there, actually, to an um, online radio conference, which was on their basement on a beautiful day full of sunshine. It was a weird experience. But definitely they do know how to use the space in different ways. Um, it was, it was a, I wouldn't say it was a packed um, conference, but there were loads of people in there. And then by the end of it, they just started taking everything away and it was setting up for later. They were setting up the dance floor. Um, but yeah, every single time I walked past there. Which I mean, is there, there is so much going on. Then they've got a flower yeah. shop, they've got a record shop, they've got they they sell stuff online. There's like there's a restaurant, there's a cocktail bar, there's a cafe. I mean, it's just endless. So you know, people who stay there, they, they don't even have to move. Yeah, they don't <laughs> need to, to put a foot out of the hotel. Um, so uh, now I, it's come to, come the, to end the end of the show Sorry. already. Would you believe it? Um, so to end the show, um, I would like to play something by um, a young lady who's come and done a live set on our show before last year, um, Lael Arad, and uh, she performed her song for Leonard. And now um, she has a new muse, who's a certain Milo, and that's the title of her next release. And she'll um, she'll be supporting uh, Black Yaya at the Lexington on April the 9th, but if you miss that, just... Uh, have a look on her Facebook, which is Lael Arad Music, for updates um, if, if you like the sound of this. So um, the track I'll be playing is Milo. But just before we hear Lyle Arad's gorgeous voice, there's just enough time to say we've been East Coast Show. And you can find out more about our discoveries at eastcastshow.com anytime. Thanks for listening. Riding on your velo, writing with your stilo, stealing all my ghetto. Oh, oh, I miss you, Milo. I miss you, Milo, floating on your life.